The first reading is taken from Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testified with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus by night and said, Father, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven 
except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. From Romans 8 and verse 17, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for the words that you give us in the Scriptures, but we lack the understanding. So we pray that your Holy Spirit will come now and breathe into these words and bring them to life for us, so that we might live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I read somewhere recently that uh, someone uh, was describing their brain as being like the Bermuda Triangle. In that, they were saying, information goes in, but then it's never found again. The older I get, the more I actually can sympathize with that uh, description number of times I've gone upstairs and forgotten what I've gone upstairs for and all that sort of thing. But having said that, you know, the, the brain is an amazing thing. Maybe not mine. Yours is, I'm sure. But it is an amazing thing, especially in its thirst for knowledge and in its ability to seek to make sense of the world around it and its capacity to seek, to understand, that thirst to understand, to make sense of the world that we are in, of course, has led to the amazing scientific advances uh, and technological advances that we see and enjoy in our world today. Our brains are constructed that way. They are made that way, to make sense of what we see, even if we don't quite understand what it is we're seeing. And you can test that for yourself if you go out, I don't know what it's like today, but if you go out on a, a, one of those days when it's a lovely sunny day and you've got those white fluffy clouds in the sky, cumulonimbus I think they're called, but anyway, those like white fluffy clouds in the sky and you look at them you don't just see clouds, do you? Well, I don't. Most of us, I guess, don't. We see shapes. We see all kinds of things. We see animals. I do. Perhaps I shouldn't say we. I. Maybe it's just me. I'm strange. But I see animals. I see cars. I see all kinds of different things out of those clouds. And that's my brain trying to make sense of these random shapes that I see in the sky. 
That's our brain. It's wired to do that, to try to make sense of what we see. But as science and technology have pushed back the boundaries of what we don't know, then that readiness to accept the unknowable becomes increasingly difficult. Perhaps in the past, when we weren't so technologically advanced, we were better able to live with that, to live with that knowledge that actually there are certain things that we cannot explain and cannot understand, things that were beyond our comprehension. But along with the technological advances that we have made has become an increasing confidence in our own ability to explain anything and everything. Which in a sense, I suppose you might say, well, okay, that's, that's good. But when it comes to God, and when it comes to faith, there is somewhat of a problem there. Because when it comes to seeking to know God and explain God, then we are moving into areas that are beyond us, beyond our comprehension and understanding. How can that which is created comprehend fully the one who created it or us? And that is a tension that we live with and increasingly find today that people are saying actually there is no such thing as God and everything else and these things we can know them and explain them away. The theologian Francis Burkett who was writing in the early 1900s when at that time inventions and technology was advancing at such a great pace he said this he said our faith must assent to what our reason cannot comprehend. Now that doesn't mean to say that we should abandon reason. Not at all. But that we, when it comes to faith and when it comes to addressing the nature of God, that actually there is an element of recognizing our own limitations and being humble enough to recognize that we don't know everything and we cannot know everything. Hard that might seem to us whose brains are wired into wanting to understand and know the unknowable. And the reason why I say this is because, as we're saying, today is Trinity Sunday, when we look, as it were, directly into the sun, when it, we look directly into the nature of God. And when we do that, we hit that tension head on. That tension between our wanting to know and the unknowable. We are being taken into areas that are beyond our comprehension, even though that is hard for us to accept, and we might kick against it. 
In fact, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, as you will know, comes in many ways out of that same brain function to construct patterns and shapes in order to understand it. You will know the specific doctrine of the Trinity appears nowhere in the Bible itself. We have constructed it as our best guess of making sense of what we see and experience of God. As such, it's not so much a doctrine, it's not so much much something that we've been taught, it's something that God has revealed to us. It's how God chooses to reveal himself. It's how we experience him, and then we try to make sense of that. It's not something that is specifically described in the Bible, but nevertheless, the Bible is shot through with examples of it. So, for example, in this discussion with Nicodemus, all three elements of the Trinity are described as working together. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father sending the Son, the Son loving the world, the Spirit, the means by which we experience this new life and salvation and in God. So Jesus is already talking in terms of the Holy Spirit. But then he does something else with Nicodemus as well, in that he challenges Nicodemus's own, in a sense, earthbound intelligence and reason and knowledge. So that when Jesus talks about new life and being born again and being born through the Spirit and everything else like that, Nicodemus can't understand it. Why? Because he's thinking down here. That's the limit of his experience. So Nicodemus asks, how can, we, how can you be born again? And implicit in that question that he asks, he is in effect saying, this is not earthly possible. And Jesus says, yes, that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make. This is not earthly possible possible. This is not in the realms of your understanding and human reason. I have spoken to you, Jesus says, of earthly things, but you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things that actually are out of this world altogether? In a sense, Jesus is saying what I'm talking about is beyond your earthly ability to explain it and understand it. It takes us into the realms of God. And hard as that may seem, and in this technological age, difficult it is for us to accept that. Somehow, to comprehend this, we need to break that glass ceiling of our own understanding and the limits of that. Break that glass ceiling and see beyond and simply believe. 
And it's in our believing. This is the key to everything. It's in our believing. Then it all becomes clear. And I think it's helpful to note how Jesus describes the key to understanding all this is not by knowledge and reason, but it is in the terms of love and relationship. That's what's at the heart of God. That's, if we're talking about the nature of God, that's how we might best explain the nature of God. Not in terms of, in a sense, concrete things, but in terms of love and relationship. That's what's at the heart of God himself. And as you probably know and possibly have experienced, the one thing that cannot be defined and understood by logic and reason is love and relationships. Well, maybe you can explain it, but I can't. Who can explain why we fall in love and who we fall in love with? It's beyond my comprehension and understanding, yet it happens. And once we recognize that, then we begin to see where Jesus is taking us and Nicodemus in this discussion. The Trinity is not something that God teaches us about himself, but something that we discover about him when we enter into a relationship with him. The Trinity, therefore, is revealed through our experience and our love and our relationship with God. As Jesus describes it to Nicodemus, it's, it's like being born again. It's like beginning a new life. It's, it's like having a fresh start. It's like entering into a new relationship. It's like joining a new family. It's like falling in love. It's an experience of the heart. As Paul describes it in Romans 8 and verse 15, he says, And by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. We're brought into a relationship of love with God. And we call him Father because that's what he is. That's how we experience him. We're in his family. It's a relationship of love. And the Spirit himself, Paul says, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's what it's about. That's how we encounter God as Trinity. We become children of God through the Father, by the Son, and experience him through the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. I can't explain it. I can't draw a diagram necessarily and say this is how it works and, and everything else. But it does. That's how it is. To try to understand, to try to define the nature of God from a point of logic or reason is like trying to explain the nature of love 
by the same method. We cannot. The best way of knowing love is to experience it. And the same is true of the nature of God. To know him by experiencing him. By believing in him. Entering into a relationship with him. To know God as your heavenly father because you have been saved by the Son and made new through the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen.